Welcome, I'm Susan Elder, and I work at Joint State Government Commission, a nonpartisan research agency for the Pennsylvania Legislature. This podcast features discussions with Joint State staff members about our reports. I'd like to pass things over to our Executive Director, Glenn Passowitz, to introduce the topic of the day. Thanks, Susan. We recently published the report, Police Powers to Make Arrests, Carry Firearms, and Other Enforcement Authorizations in Pennsylvania. The report was directed by House Resolution 620 of 2019, which was sponsored by Representative Joswiak of Berks County. The report is a -a one-of-a-kind compendium of all the different types of law enforcement officers in Pennsylvania, and there are far more than you'd imagine. How they are appointed, where their powers derive from, what kind of training they receive, and how many people are employed in each category. Importantly, the report provides recommendations for statutory consolidations and codifications, which are topics we'll get into later in the podcast. Thanks, Glenn. I'm joined today by several members of our staff. Brian DeWalt will be joining us as a co-host. Hi, Susan. Thanks for having me back on. We will be talking with project members Steve Kramer and Allison Kopsowitz about their recently released report. Hi, Susan. Thanks for having us. This is Steve. Hello, this is Allison. Glad to have you guys here with us. Steve, you are the project manager for the report. To take kind of a bird's eye view for a moment, can you tell us what are police powers? Absolutely, Susan. Thanks for the question. The term police powers is very broad and sweeping. In a general sense, it refers to inherent power of government to enact and enforce the laws, both at the state and the local levels. However, for the purposes of this project, we focused in on the enforcement aspect of the term police powers uh, as it applied to the categories that we discussed. The type of police powers we examined and we looked for were the authority to perform an arrest, investigatory powers, the ability to conduct an investigation, the ability to execute warrants, carry firearms, issue citations, and things of that nature. But these types of powers, they happen, like I said, both at a state level and at local level. And sometimes they vary based on topic. You have transit police who have these types of authorities. Uh, You have airport police wildlife conservation officers. There's a whole host of different categories that tend to exercise these powers. Steve, I was wondering if you could just explain to us a little bit more about what exactly arrest authority is. Thanks, Brian. According to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, uh, an arrest occurs when there is any act that indicates an intention to take a person into custody and subject them to actual control of the person making the arrest. So essentially, it's Any official, law enforcement, Pennsylvania State Police or otherwise, that has the ability to or the authority to perform that kind of action, to take an individual into custody with the intent of exerting control over them at that time. Other than the obvious groups like the state police, what types of organizations have police powers? Thank you for that question, Susan. Uh, Like Steve mentioned earlier, there are several different categories that we have included in this report. Broadly, we have conservation, education, transportation, and some more local offices. Under conservation, we have DCNR rangers, wildlife conservation officers, waterways officers, forest fire wardens. We have university and school police. We have transit police, port authorities for both Allegheny, Delaware River, 
Humane Society police officers, and then also constables and sheriffs. And there are many more than this. We have about 36 categories included in this report. So how did you go about making that list of organizations with police powers? What did it involve? It required heavy statutory review and review of common law. We had to start by looking in statutes and then where statutes were kind of quiet on certain issues or, or silent, we had to, to look at case law. And then if we needed to fill information gaps past that point, we reached out to agency and department heads to fill those information gaps. And it kind of ended up becoming a, a balancing act between being comprehensive, but narrowly tailoring the list so that it actually fit the scope of the directive that we were provided in the resolution. I don't know, Allie, would you like to talk a little bit more about creating this list? Yes, we spent months making kind of large list and then narrowing it down to make sure, like Steve said, that these categories fit the description of the resolution. And we did that through looking at the statute, looking at outside sources, just like Steve said, reaching out to agencies just to ensure that everything that's included in this list deserves to be there and nothing that shouldn't be there is there. So the resolution mentions that some non-traditional organizations with police powers may be obsolete. What did you guys find during your research about this? Yeah, based on our findings, we did find a couple categories um, that are arguably obsolete. Cemetery Watchmen was one, horticultural or agricultural exhibit police was another, and Night Watchmen, another category that we found it's a strong argument that these categories are obsolete for their intended purposes. To ensure that we were correct in our determination, we engaged in an exhaustive process of looking for written materials on these categories to see if we could find any information relevant to today. We spoke to, for the Cemetery Watchmen, one example, we spoke to Pennsylvania Funeral Directors Association, as well as the Pennsylvania Cemetery Cremation and Funeral Association. None knew of any existing Cemetery Watchmen in present day. It's also important to note that the, the enabling statutes that created these categories originated in the 19th century when there was horse-drawn carriage that was the primary means of conveyance. So, um, most of these statutes have not been amended since. So it was a good indication to us that maybe they'd outlived their intended purpose. So th that's just one example of how we went about trying to find whether or not these categories were obsolete or if there were still active officials uh, engaging in their work. The resolution directed joint state to obtain employment and service data for each organization. Did you have any trouble finding or accessing this type of information? Thanks for that question, Susan. This is Allison. This actually was a very challenging portion of this report. This information was not readily available. It took essentially reaching out to every single organization that is on this list and asking them to provide us with five years of backdated information on employment data, which is a tall order. So that was difficult for us to get in touch with some of these organizations. It was difficult for some of these organizations to even have this information available for us. So we were unable to find all of the numbers for all of these agencies and organizations. Um, but we were able to find the vast majority and all of that's included in the report, but it was not easy that part. Okay, so what kind of training requirements are even needed to carry a firearm in Pennsylvania for a county or state police? 
Thanks for the great question, Brian. Again, this is uh, Steve. There's definitely a variation, and some of the categories mentioned in the report do have a more limited authority, while some actually have no authority to carry firearms on duty. However, over the years, training and firearms training has become a bit more streamlined through the Pennsylvania State Police Administration of what's known as the uh, Municipal Police Officers Education and Training Commission. We refer to it shortly as MOPEC. This, this commission trains municipal police, capital police, waterways conservation officers, airport police, and a whole host of other law enforcement categories with regard to firearm. The report does address the Lethal Weapons Training Act, and that generally applies to private police, you know, that differ from some of the other categories that are trained through MOPAC. Thanks, Steve. Just to clarify, generally speaking, are training and firearm requirements for policing organizations pretty similar across the state? There's variation. Different types of law enforcement officers have too many different requirements to, to cover concisely. Generally, you know, we, we would have to refer you to the report for the specific differences. But in answer to your general question, no, they're not all they're not all the same. And there are variations. And it really just depends on the level of authority the law enforcement official has to actually carry a firearm and, you know, what their job duties and obligations under the statute actually require. Thanks for that clarification, Steve. So earlier, you had mentioned the Lethal Weapons Training Act, and I was wondering if you could explain a little bit more about what that is. Sure, absolutely. The Lethal Weapons Training Act is essentially the act governing weapons training for private police. Private police include private detectives, investigators, security, patrolmen, officers like that. The Lethal Weapons Training Act came out because for some time, these privately employed agents were not required to undergo any formal training before carrying out their duties. These same agents often carried weapons. It was believed that this lack of training was the proximate cause to various tragic incidents involving, you know, these private investigators, detectives, security, patrolmen. So to cure this, the Lethal Weapons Training Act was enacted to provide lethal weapons training to those agents. We recommended moving the Lethal Weapons Act because it really appears to play a critical role in governing privately employed detectives, investigators, and security. All of these officers are primarily found in Title 22 of Pennsylvania's consolidated statutes. So this would seem, in our opinion, a logical location to have the act and its provisions to help streamline statewide lethal weapons training requirements for these agents into one particular section. So one of the things that is a focus of this report that comes out in this report is consolidation. Glenn, I was wondering if you could take a moment and just kind of speak to joint states' role in consolidating statutes. Sure, Susan. Pennsylvania is unique among the states in that our state government doesn't codify all of the statutes that it enacts. Whereas other states organize statutes by topic, for example, uh, were all the laws pertaining to domestic relations, crimes and offenses, judiciary, judicial procedure are grouped accordingly. This doesn't always occur in Pennsylvania. In many cases, each new act stands alone without being grouped with other enactments that govern related matters. So as it happens, the staff of the Joint State Government Commission sometimes has the task of gathering together or consolidating statutes that address a particular topic. And these as, as we learned from this report, can go back well over 100 years. 
which means that the staff has to conduct an exhaustive research to find lost and forgotten statutes and sections of statutes and identify those that are rendered obsolete, uh, trimming redundant language and redrafting anywhere from a couple to maybe a dozen or more existing statutes into a unified piece of legislation. So over the years, our staff has proposed consolidations of the state's public library code, aspects of public health laws, the divorce code, decedents estates, and the consumer credit code. And this same type of work was done for the police powers report. Steve, just to clarify, the resolution mentioned that they were looking for a consolidation recommendation to achieve efficiency and enhance public safety. But the kind of consolidation that you actually recommend in the report is more for statutory purposes rather than a physical consolidation. Yeah, you're correct. Our consolidation recommendations are primarily statutory rather than uh, physical. We didn't have an advisory board appointed for this particular project. So we felt with regard to any kind of physical administrative consolidation, we didn't really have the expertise working hand in hand with us to do that kind of a recommendation. We also didn't provide any agency or department-wide desk audits as to job duties and, and descriptions. However, we believe that this report can serve as a possible starting point for some potential physical or administrative consolidations of certain agencies or, or departments. Um, we also think that these recommendations would be helpful from a statutory standpoint for future amendments. It might make them a little bit more seamless. That's our hope. Thanks. That really clears it up. And on a similar train of thought, when discussing a statutory consolidation, would a good example of that in this report be your recommendation to put capital and commonwealth police in the same chapter as campus police? That one had surprised me because on the surface, I didn't think they were very similar. Yeah, and, and that's a great question. Again, thanks for that, Brian. Um, our, our thought process was that with this was if they're a comprehensive review of the, these different categories, we noticed striking similarities in duties and scope of authority. For example, both have the authority to enforce good order on state-owned grounds and within state buildings. Um, each also had arrest authority and a variety of investigative powers within their jurisdictions. So it was just this is another example of us trying to streamline and consolidate similar categories of law enforcement. We also modernize language and updated outdated provisions. For example, campus police. Uh, state-aided universities, there was a list of state-aided universities in the statute. That list is actually not current. Some of those listed universities were consolidated into other universities or they don't exist anymore. So we we modernized language like that and updated those lists to their, their current form. Thanks, Steve. It's time to wrap up our conversation on House Resolution 620. Steve and Allison, thank you so much for joining us here today to talk about police powers in the Commonwealth. Susan, thank you for having us. Thank you, Susan. If you're listening and you'd like more detail on this topic, you can access the full report. We have maps, data, and different charts on our website. The website is jsg.legis.state.pa.us. The music in our podcast is by Joseph McDade. Thanks for joining us and have a great day.